it's Loom Group's Andrea Lay, Backview's Melissa Burdick, the wizard of Woodland Hills Shree, and I'm PVSB from Flywheel, a division of Omnicom, and I'm coming to you today from the Catskills. Be playing Heckinger's Tuesdays and Thursdays. Before we get to the CPG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 6th, and it's time for the Fresh Four, for curated news stories from the past week. We find them dependably intriguing. We hope you do too. We're brought to you through our partnership with Retail Wit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence news, retailwit.com. It's retail right now. Over to you, Shree. In case you're wondering what this background is, I'm at, I'm at my father-in-law's house all the way in Chennai, India for the next couple of weeks. So what's the message of the week? Kroger Precision Marketing strikes a partnership with none other than Yahoo DSP. So Yahoo DSP advertisers now have access to KPM's audiences for both reach and measurement. Partnership marks KPM's second DSP partnership since last fall and ushers in a new focus on commerce media for Yahoo advertising in particular. Collaborations like this one will define the next phase of growth in retail media as retailers recognize the limitations of monetization on their own digital properties and seek incremental growth by expanding offsite. This is said by Sara Marzano, principal analyst at eMarketer. For advertisers, the delayed but still impending deprecation of third-party cookies, which is now on its way, continues to underpin every decision regarding digital advertising dollars. So solutions that safeguard their investments against that hold increasing appeal. Over to you, Andrea. Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. Walmart adds a new grocery line to its private brand's portfolio. Walmart has announced a new private label grocery brand called Better Goods. The line includes 300 items spanning categories such as frozen, dairy, snacks, beverages, pasta, soups, coffee, and chocolate. With most items priced under $5, Better Goods focuses on three key components, culinary experiences, plant-based, and made without. The retailer said Better Goods marks not only its largest private food brand launch in two decades, but also its fastest grocery brand brought to market. Over to you, Melissa. Thanks, Andrea. Uh, so, Savemark companies roll out in-store retail media networks. It's not enough that we have online. Now we're moving to in-store retail media networks. The Savemark companies plans to roll out in-store connect, an in-store retail media network powered by Quad Graphics Inc. To start, 16 of the grocery company stores will have digital screens, kiosks, end caps, shelf screens, and vertical banners throughout, allowing CPG partners to showcase promotions, product information, and recommendations to shoppers. The program will eventually roll out to all the Savemark companies, approximately 200 stores. This is Savemark's latest retail media effort, coming almost a year after a launch of its own retail media network. Over to you, Peter. Thanks, Melissa. Rite Aid expands Uber Eats' partnership for alcohol delivery in eight states. Nearly 1,000 Rite Aid stores will now offer alcohol delivery via retailers' expanded partnership with Uber Eats. Customers of legal drinking aid can get delivery from select stores in California, Idaho, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Oregon, Virginia, and Washington. Quote, our collaboration and trusted partnership with Uber Eats underscores our commitment to meet the evolving needs of our customers and providing a seamless digital shopping experience complements their busy lives, unquote, said Jeannie Walden, Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Rite Aid, the U.S.'s third largest pharmacy retailer. That's it for the Fresh Four. Now on to the CPG Guys episode that you've downloaded. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our co-hosts, Sri Rajagopalan and Peter V.S. Bond, 
Explore how brands and retailers engage with consumers online, in-store, and everywhere in between. And now, here are Sri and Peter. Hello, folks, and welcome to this episode of the CPG Guys podcast. I'm, of course, Sri, one of the aforementioned CPG Guys. My co-host, of course, is PVSP, the man with the podcast voice and the radio. Also, the VP of Partner Strategy and Dev at Fetch Rewards, mobile loyalty platform. What's uh, At the time of this recording, we're going to be together yet again, and we're going to actually go see a Dodgers Stadium tour on the 4th of June. I'm hyper excited to do that. Please join me in welcoming the other baseball nut and the other CPG guy, the man with the velvet voice, Mr. Bond. How are you today, sir? Well, sure, I'm pretty excited because uh, tomorrow morning I'm hopping on the big silver bird and finding my way from Hartford to L.A., where you and I are going to go on a tour of Dodger Stadium and then catch a game with some friends of ours. So I'm in a pretty great mood. How are you doing? Peter, my bucket list moment happened, as you know, 10 days ago. I met the entire New York Yankees. I have 26 autographed baseballs. I have 10 jerseys, and I've got tickets to games handed to me by the players. This is your bucket list moment. I want to get pictures of you smiling. Dodgers Stadium Tour. Nothing better than that, Shri. So I'm looking forward to it, man. But thank you, Peter. But before we get to our guests, let me remind our audience that all of our content can easily be found by visiting cpgguys.com. If you aren't already following us on LinkedIn, just enter CPG Guys in the search box. And when you get to our page, hit the blue plus button, which is follow us. That way you'll get to see all of the content we produce. And the best thing about it, it's free. Did you know that, Peter? It's totally free. I did. I did. Not great. And did you know that we are in partnership with Next Up, the network of executive women? In the middle of every podcast episode is hidden an Easter egg with a message from them. Download, tune in, listen, and be part of making a difference for gender equality. Check out nextupisnow.org slash cpgguys with the key message in joining the network. How about that, Peter? We actually have our own page now on Nextup. A landing page. That must mean we're, we're, we're not just trying to scam somebody here. This is like really us. It's us. We're involved. Do, doing, doing, doing something right on gender equality. Yeah. Of course, Peter and I are honored that a podcast attracts so many omnichannel leaders from notable brands and retailers. And today... We're especially pleased to have such a guest. He's the VP of Commercial Strategy and Development for none other than the world's largest food and beverage manufacturer, Nestle USA. In this role, he leads a team of leaders responsible for commercial development, category strategy, volume and trade planning, e-commerce sales and strategy, and shopper marketing across all channels and categories within food and beverage. He also has a 40 under 40 recognition from the Philadelphia Business Journal to his name. Drum roll, please. Join Peter and me in welcoming to the podcast, Viral Shaw, the man himself. Greetings. How are you today, Viral? I'm doing great. Um, I wish I was doing as well as you two. My, uh, I'm also a big baseball nut, but my Detroit Tigers aren't as high in the standings um, as the Dodgers and the Yankees are. But it was really nice to see you last week in person, Shree, and good to spend some time with you as well, Peter. Looking forward to a great conversation. It was a pleasure indeed to see you in person, Viral, but you reminded me of an important moment this year in the baseball season. There was a brief four-hour period where the Dodgers overtook the Yankees as the number one team in baseball, and Peter made sure to text me, but I've been nice enough. The Yankees have claimed it back. They've had it for about 40 games in a row, and I have not sent him a text, just to be noted, indicating (laughs) the Yankees are actually two games ahead as the number one team in baseball. But yes, it's early in the season. We're a third of the way in. But Viral, before we get to the questions, would you first tell us about where our audience can learn more about Nestle USA and then a brief overview of your team? 
Absolutely. Um, so you can go to nestleusa.com. That's that's probably the best place to learn. We have uh, such a wide variety of brands. Um, I hate to ever correct anyone on this podcast, um, but I would say that um, we are not only the largest food and beverage company, we're actually the largest CPG company um, in the world, which is something that I'm really proud of. Um, specifically on our team, we have three pillars. Uh, the first one is what the industry commonly refers to as sales strategy, really focused on strategic initiatives within the commercial functions. Um, it's kind of that group that sits in between marketing and sales and helps drive a lot of the strategic um, a lot of the strategic initiatives. The second one is category strategy and development. We're very focused on ensuring we keep category top of mind in all of our decisions. Um, we're responsible both for the upstream strategy as well as the specific execution at the retailers. And then the final pillar, and likely why you invited me to be a guest today, um, is e-commerce. So similar to category, we're responsible for both the strategy side as well, uh, specifically ensuring that our strategy gets into the brand plans and that we incorporate it all the way down to the P&L responsibility for the uh, e-commerce retailer specifically. So, And that pillar also includes our shopper marketing arm. So um, very exciting stuff and really um, it's very comprehensive across everything. Thank you for that, Viral. We'll, of course, include hyperlinks to the site address you mentioned in our episode digital liner, liner notes. So we're going to jump right into the questions. But yes, the world's largest CPG company, and we're honored to host somebody from the world's largest CPG company. And uh, so I'll start with the first one. But before I do that, I'll also say we're not just a e-commerce podcast. Today, we're going to focus a lot on that. But this is a podcast that deals with the intersection of the in-store model, the online model and digital and everything in between as well. So um, hopefully that's the nature of what we touched today. So let's jump right in. Your story starts at University of Michigan. You touched a number of notable brands at large CPG companies and then eventually emerging as an e-commerce leader at Campbell's. And then you made the decision to go to Nestle, where you've got a pretty large remit. Decompose what this remit is. You know, you said there were three different pillars and how all this change came to be in your own life. Absolutely. Well, first of all, I love that you started my journey at the University of Michigan because I have to say go blue to all my Michigan alumni out there. And I'm sure there's a lot because um, we come in, in big packs pretty much everywhere we go. Um, but like most folks, I would say that 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 work in e-commerce today, um, I didn't leave college or leave the University of Michigan thinking I specifically wanted to be an e-commerce leader. Um, I spent the first 15 years of my career at large CPG companies, like you mentioned, Shree, um, building brands on the marketing side and leading large customers in a variety of channels on the sales side. And about seven or eight years ago now, um, I got put on a special project while at Campbell's to develop a plan and structure of how we were going to win within the e-commerce space. It was something we were lacking there and we wanted to put a lot more focus on it. And at the end of that special project, I was actually given the opportunity to become the general manager of e-commerce um, for the entire company, which is really what led me down into this space. Um, and then my move three and a half years ago to Nestle um, and the world's largest CPG company really gave me an opportunity to continue to lead e-commerce, but also broaden my scope back to other channels of trade. And it's funny, I always say I've given this advice to a lot of e-commerce leaders that have reached out to me for mentorship, um, that I believe it's really important for those of us that understand the space to begin to get leadership roles more broadly in the overall commercial organization. Because e-commerce does not exist in a vacuum. It has to be part of an end-to-end -end mindset that all commercial leaders have. And Nestle gave me that opportunity to level up, and it's it's really what led me here today. 
couldn't have worded it better myself, Viral. You know, e-commerce should never be run in a vacuum. You know, my own personal life day to day is about, I, I use the word omni-channel. I never say e-commerce is like a word from like prehistoric at this stage, right? It's about balancing brick and mortar in-store and the fact that most transactions today are influenced by digital anyway. Peter? Hail to the victors, valiant. Hail to the conquering. Oh, sorry. Got a little off track there. I apologize. <laughs> I can sing that song all day. <laughs> I'm sure you can. Welcome to the podcast. We're very happy to to have you here. And yeah, we're happy to have even Tigers fans. You know, someone's got to get, someone's got to have more in the L column so that we can have more in the W column. And that's okay. I mean, there's, it's an ecosystem, but in any event. Um, so we're, we're really happy to have you on the show. And to follow up on what you just mentioned, I want to talk specifically about how digital commerce is a priority for Nestle USA. Um, and I think I know what the answer is going to be, but is it just about e-commerce? Does it have a broader omni-channel driver situation behind it? would really love you to kind of decompose where digital commerce fits into to Nestle USA. Yeah, absolutely, Peter. Um, and you're welcome for Max Scherzer as well, because um, I'm sure that that led to some of um, your your victories. Um, so really at Nestle, at the center of everything that we do is our consumer. And our consumer is telling us that digital commerce is a priority every day. Um, it also happens to be the most valuable and brand loyal consumer that we have. Um, on top of that, it's incredibly important for our retailers. I mean, we almost every discussion I have with our retailers, if it's a top top meeting that isn't at all focused on um, on e-commerce or on digital commerce, this topic comes up because it is one of the most important things for them as well. Um, so it really hits a bullseye for us as an organization right in between what our consumers want and what our retailers want. Um, and you mentioned this earlier, but it, it really isn't about e-commerce. It really is about total omnichannel because most of our purchases that are done online don't necessarily start online or most purchases that are done in store don't necessarily start in store. And so the consumer is not any different. It's rare to find a consumer that only shops in one channel. Um, it's very likely that most of our consumers are shopping at a Costco, a Target and an Amazon at the same time. So being able to understand how to get the insight that you need from one to the other um, is critically important for us at Nestle. Again, no debate, no debate from me over there. So let's just get into that digital journey a little bit, right? So how are you personally working, Viral, to ensure Nestle USA is omnichannel ready? Like, can you share some initiatives, actions that you'd coach the industry to really focus on? Yeah, I mean, I'd say, you know, similar to most companies, I'm sure the first step in everything we do is understanding the shopper online. Um, what appeals to them? How do we reach them? What are the shopper behaviors? Um, and then from there, we do create an end to end focus um, because we just talked about, as we know, in almost every instance, the online shopper is the offline shopper. Um, it's really the same same person. And we want to understand what drives them to shop in certain channels versus others. Um, and so we need to think about the impact of the entire shopper journey, not just the final purchase. Um, and so our focus really at Nestle is around developing the capabilities and making the investments that we need to win within this space. Um, a specific example that we have right now is a test that's going on with our premium waters group um, that allows consumers to pick multiple flavors and then create their own variety pack. So we're not choosing what flavors we want. We've got 20 different flavors. It's to say, hey, if you want one package of, of this and that, we'll put that together and ship that out. 
Now, obviously, that comes with some capabilities around our supply chain, and those are the things that we're working through as we speak. Um, we're also starting to build out some capabilities around direct fulfillment, which also has mutual benefits because it helps us with our sustainability efforts, which for us is very important. Um, but how do we potentially take one or two points out of the point of delivery? And are there ways that we can get product directly to the consumer um, that avoids us having to ship it two or three times, especially in today's world um, with the inflation around transportation and gas prices and labor? Um, the more we can help that, the more it helps actually all of our efficiency. So if you go back to episode six of the CPG guys, a certain industry luminary who might or might not be on the podcast with us, Viral, today, stated that direct-to-consumer was non-negotiable for brands. Now, of course, he came from a shelf-stable product business, and, and he may have had a particular uh, influence in terms of how he thought about that. So in that light, it seems every brand is focused to some degree on delivering a direct partnership with the consumer, be it direct consumer or some measure. I'd, I'd really like to know how you're tackling. I know you've got perishable products in your assortment. Would really like to understand how you think about it. What is the value proposition you get? Is it more driven by the learning you get as opposed to the actual scale and expectation of, of being able to drive a lot of volume through that? Where does direct consumer kind of fit into your thinking? Subscriptions, other things like that? Yeah, great question. Um, and I might be the one one person that you have as a guest that may not agree with um, where overall direct-to-consumer goes. But I'll say in the end, it has a consumer benefit. We are absolutely focusing on it. You can imagine our Nespresso business um, is almost all direct-to-consumer, right? Because that is something that the consumer has told us is very important to them. But to be totally honest, I'm a strong believer that DTC isn't the answer for all brands. Now, do we need to have a conversation with the consumer? Absolutely. And are there ways to do that through you know, certain media vehicles? Absolutely. But do we need a direct-to-consumer website or an ability to be able to buy on a direct-to-consumer site for every single brand is where I personally differ um, you know, slightly because I think it actually takes some of the focus away for some of the brands that have a right to win within click and collect or within pure play that spend so much of their time figuring out how to sell directly to a consumer when at the end of the day, a DiGiorno pizza may not be something that a consumer wants to go on a website and buy. They may want to just buy it from um, a dot com site and be able to have it delivered to them. So we continue to segment our brands across the omni channel spectrum and where DTC makes sense. It will absolutely be a part of the strategy. But for many of our brands, it's just not the right time or the right next step for them to hit today. So if I could just follow up on that, then, Viral, when I think about um, shoppable media, if you're not necessarily doing a direct consumer, uh, there are some that think that the buy button is antithetical to brand building. Do you? What are your thoughts on that? Is shoppable media okay? Is that something that you're supportive of? 100%. I, I, I think there's definitely a, a um, big advantage to having shoppable media and buy now. I think where the shoppable media and buy now directs you to doesn't necessarily have to be to a direct-to-consumer site. It could be to a retailer partner um, that is working with us to say, hey, if we click the buy now button, it takes you directly to, the, to their site versus ours. Um, but I, I absolutely think there's a benefit to the overall shoppable media. Gotcha. Thank you for that. 
Let me remind our audience that we're speaking to Viral Shah, VP of Commercial Strategy and Development at Nestle USA. Viral, in these interesting times of transformation, both for the consumer, the shopper, CPG and retail, a lot of focus that I've personally been looking at for the last few uh, months and years now is on people and human capital. I'd love to learn how are you building a team? What is your team specifically focus on? Is it a strategy piece? The execution piece? Is it somewhere in between? Is it both? And then how does the team interact with commercial functions and actually deliver value? Yeah. Yeah. No, great question, Sheree. I, you know, it's funny. I, I, I would say the number one thing, the center of what, of what we're trying to build within the team of e-commerce um, is around the people. We've got to have the best people in the industry. We have some of some of the best brands, some of the most um, historic brands and iconic brands, um, and we are the world's largest CPG company. So we're going to continue to hire the best talent um, to make sure that we focus in that space um, and we take advantage of that as a recruiting tool, um, you know, in general. Specifically, the e-commerce portion of my team does own both the strategy as well as the execution. So we have actual folks that sit physically with the brands and are focused on strategy and ensuring that we're embedding um, all of our capability needs into the annual plans. As you can imagine, and where many of your listeners probably um, you know, struggle, and I do as well, is making sure that we have the investments around the capabilities that we need and having folks sit with the brands and explain what that strategy and how it embeds to the larger brand strategy helps us get the divisions and get the brands to actually invest in capabilities. And then we have another portion of our team that sits with the with the customer teams. They're focused on execution, driving the PL, talking about what Peter was just talking about with you know finding partners on things like shoppable media um, and really driving um, uh, you know incremental, efficient, um, you know, margin accretive PL um, you know, type of responsibility. And then we've also got individuals that focus on shopper marketing, educating the organization around e-commerce and making sure that people understand what the space is. And we have a very strong linkage to um, to other parts of the organization like finance, supply chain, insights to really ensure that we're thinking end to end. Yeah. And as a follow up to that, uh, I'm curious in terms of staffing for all these skilled requirements that you have, like is the challenge that that it that you can't just rely on going out and finding people with those skills on the marketplace. You do have to invest against upskilling the people that you have. And is that is that a core component of what your strategy is to make sure you have the right team in place? Yeah, I think it's a combination of um, both, Peter. I mean, I, I would say 15 years ago, I was I was at the forefront of what we were doing with category management when there was no category management. People were like, what is this space? And it's like, we need to go hire category experts but there weren't a lot of category experts out there because that's just not the way the industry was thinking prior to that. And I view e-commerce very similarly. And like, I, I think there's two portions. One is we've got to go recruit the best talent of people who understand this space because there are some people out there that do understand it and we need to bring them in. And then the second piece is there are some really smart people that have some really short learning curves that if we can just invest in the training, we can get people to very quickly become experts. You know, to be honest, seven years ago, I I would I would be far from an e-commerce expert. And here I am speaking to two of them, the most most expert in the industry on this podcast. And a lot of that didn't come from my traditional background. It came from training and what the companies invested. Here's a little tidbit of trivia for you, Viral. 
in the summer of 1995, I was locked into a, a conference room with no ambient light in Clackamas, Oregon, with five category teams of brand manufacturers and retailers. I was in the very, very first Safeway Escop project. Wow. So that's that's how old my, my category management roots are. I'm really dating myself here. That is amazing. I won't I won't even tell you that I was in high school during 1995 because that may <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. I know how I'm I totally know how old I am. <laughs> yeah. I'm just scared who I'm working with over here cuz I was born in the metaverse era, but in in any case over in... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so Vera, let's talk about um obviously this incredible pandemic that we've been living through for the last two plus years. We'd love to know um, key learnings that have come out of that, because obviously there were massive shifts in, in supply chain capabilities. One of the early episodes, we had another food and beverage manufacturer come on and say their approach to it was, we're just going to focus on the core items in our assortment and deliver those and manufacture those. And that way we won't have any allocation issues. There were others that that said, "No, I'm going to try and try and address everything," and then obviously now we've got this inflationary period. Um, you know, people are you know, some brands are taking price increases here and there. Would really love to know from you what are some of the key learnings that you would share to your contemporaries in this industry to think about how to effectively navigate these turbulent times. Yeah. I have to think about that for a minute. I would say, you know, the two that pop into my head immediately as you were talking, um, one is not to overcomplicate things in general. Um, we are all on a learning curve in this space of e-commerce and omni-channel, and it can almost be intimidating at times to really understand for a traditional organization what is trying to be, you know, built. Sure, you just mentioned metaverse. It's I, I would love to, you know, what percentage of people really understand what that space is. Um, and so finding ways to educate teams and take them along the journey is a key learning for me. And just making it approachable for people um, is really critical. So I would say that would be my first one. Um, and then the other one is this ch space is changing really fast. Um, what has gotten us here is not what's going to get us to where we need to get to three to five years from now. And I say this all the time. And, and I think that's been a really big learning for me. We have to move with speed but we have to be really nimble. And the food and beverage industry is project, was projecting somewhere around 10 to 15% of our sales would come through e-commerce by 2025. And I think most of us would say we're probably at 10 plus percent today and it happened really quickly. Um, and so we've got to figure out now different ways of thinking around the next three years. So we can't, we can't say we have a plan and then not be able to be nimble in three or four years to be able to adjust that plan. Um, and then specifically on the inflation that you mentioned, this is one of the benefits, I think, for us specifically as being truly a global company. I mean, about 30 percent of our business is done in the U.S. And in the U.S., we are in shock. Right. We are we are the, the, the inflation that's happened in the last 12 months are numbers that we haven't seen in a really long time. But globally, there are many countries that see this type of inflation almost annually. So being able to leverage a really strong strategic revenue management plan and some of our, our you know, global partners that go through this much more often um, is something that we've done you know, a lot of, but we are, not, we are not one that has shied away from making sure that um, we understand what the inflationary period has done to our business and then be able to pivot around it with a strong you know, kind of revenue management plan. 
I'm glad you used the word uh, revenue management in there, right? I wish we had more time to kind of dig into revenue management, but maybe that's an excuse, Viral, to have you and the world's largest, as you mentioned, CPG manufacturer come back on the show. Uh, but in, now I want to go a little bit to the direction of um, you know, supply chain. I think needless to say, last 24 months have been a roller coaster for any CPG manufacturer and, and a lot of on-shelf availability declines retail just across the board. Like even today in America, if you walk across shops in many places, you still see a lot of empty shelves. So in a constrained supply world that doesn't seem to have an end in sight, how are you navigating channel strategy on a day-to-day -day basis since you've got this big role of strategy? Yeah. I mean, first, I, I really hope the end is closer than we think, or I'm going to need to add supply chain to my resume credits. Um, <laughs> because that is that has been a big focus of ours over the last few years, probably like most of your listeners. Um, I'd say a few things come to mind. First is really understanding the role of innovation. Um, that is something in specifically in your category, because there is a role that base items play and there's a role that innovation plays. And if there's one thing that COVID has taught me specifically, it's that we need to ensure that our core items are available for our consumers above all else. And I think that's changed a little bit of the way that we're thinking about innovation. Um, absolutely, there's a role for innovation, but it has to come not at the um, behest of making sure we have our base products on shelf every day. Um, and then the second one to me is probably around price pack architecture. And that's kind of a buzzword around the industry. Um, but really, if you have different channels that serve different purposes, we've got to understand the role that each of them play and how packaging and price can be used to differentiate um, different retailers and different channels um, in a way that'll help our supply chain uh, you know, constraints in total because everybody's not necessarily wanting the same items. And this is where things like late stage differentiation um, that leads to price back architecture, that leads to the ability for us to be more efficient from a supply chain perspective, um, will help us if situations like this come, come down the road um, for us to get better. But um, no question that supply chain is a focus area of ours, like probably most of your listeners. All right, uh, Viral, I have the pleasure of asking you the last question today. The pandemic has, as I mentioned earlier, has obviously changed um, a lot. It's changed not only how brands and retailers go to market, it's obviously changed shopper behavior uh, in a massive way. I don't know that we can definitively say how. We just can say that it's uh, it's different than it was before the pandemic. So uh, what are your thoughts on that? And in the role that you play, how are you? you working to get your people to respond and prepare for all the transformation that's going on? Yeah, uh, there's no question that shopper behaviors changed. I think when I first heard from my 75-year-old parents that they were using concierge services like Instacart and, and you know, getting their groceries um, and actually getting dinner delivered from DoorDash, I, I would have never predicted that. And I immediately knew at that point that there is a shift happening within this industry um, and convenience is going to be the key. And there's a number of shoppers that got a taste of it that are likely not going to want to go back. Now, with that said, um, we talked about this earlier. I still believe strongly that one shopper doesn't shop at one retailer. And so there is this online offline piece. But I think there are a number of shoppers that probably never shopped online that now will shop 30, 40 percent. And that's incremental purchases for that space. Um, specifically for my role, it's all around ensuring that I continue to be an advocate internally for the for this space, the e-commerce space, the omni space, 
and the transformation of how we will need to work to capture this shift of consumers. Because it's going to look very different in, in how the ways of working that we're going to need to do. Um, so I like I personally, I love what I do. I get to see the full end-to-end -end picture in this role while still educating and advocating for a space that I have so much passion for around e-commerce. And as I said earlier, the more e-commerce savvy leaders that we can have in the commercial leader space, the more focus it's going to be for this industry in total. We can't be talking to ourselves about e-commerce leaders or about Omni leaders. We really need commercial leaders that understand the space. And I think it for folks like us, it's really critical to educate the organization and then to take on some of those leadership roles that are beyond just the e-commerce space. Again, well said. And what a fun episode, Peter. We've covered, we've gone the spectrum of, we talked supply chain and channel strategy. We even touched D2C. What a bonus, huh? Category management. Don't forget that. We didn't miss category management. And the, did I hear the word ESCOP mentioned in there? Like, unfortunately, I'm one of those. Might have slipped that in. I'm one of those that actually knows the ESCOP program from my IRI days. I'll date myself in the mid-90s as well. And then we talked the all-important human capital as well. And always fun to do all of this when you have the world's largest CPG company that comes on the show. Any thought, closing thoughts, Peter, before I close it out here? If you want to win and, and grow your business in this day and age, you've got to be nimble. You've got to be paying attention to your consumer, what they're doing, why they're doing it. Lifelong learning, that is what's going to get you through these turbulent times. Because if you try to sell the consumers the way the world looked prior to March of 2020, you are going to find yourself hemorrhaging business in a significant way. So uh, I loved everything that Viral said today. It was really great. Indeed. Thank you so much. Um, let me remind our audience that you can find all of our content easily by simply going to LinkedIn and typing CPG guys in the search bar. And then you'll get a little button that's blue in color and shows plus you can follow us. Hey, Shri. Shri, I also want to bring to people's attention, we just launched a brand new website, a whole new cpgguys.com with lots of content. You can see our ratings there. We even have a merch store. I mean, we're like, we're in the big time now. We're not just a little link tree list. We are a full scale, uh, real real website. It's, it's pretty darn nice. I don't know what you think about it. Well, the fact that we can actually put water bottles and people actually want water bottles that have your and my face on it. I'm, it's still a mystery to me, but you know, our, our mothers bought them. I think that was, that might be the only transactions. Our moms and maybe our brothers and sisters got water bottles. That said, you know, what a fun episode. Viral, I can't thank you enough for appearing on the show. So sincerely from the CPG guys, thank you for joining us. Great. Thank you, Peter and Shree, for the opportunity to speak to your listeners. It was great. My dear friend, Mr. Bond, at the time of this recording, we're 24 hours away from doing a stadium tour at Dodger Stadium. It's going to be exciting, even though I'm a Yankees fan. My per one of my personal outstanding bucket list items is to be at every baseball stadium while I've been before. Actually, to the Dodgers Stadium for the playoffs with you. I haven't done a stadium tour, so I'm sincerely looking forward to it. But a pleasure doing this week over week with you. Oh, I love it. Shri, you know, I'm up to 28 out of 30 ballparks. I've still got to go to Kansas City and the new one in Atlanta. But, uh, you know, hope springs eternal, right? I'm way below. I'm only at the 17 benchmark. So I got something to strive for in life over here. How about that? And to our audience, thank you for listening in week over week. Thank you for the... 
uh, close to 14K followers we have on LinkedIn. We know you send us a lot of messages. You tell us who to bring on the show. You shape the show. So feel free to rate us at ratethispodcast.com slash guys. If you rate us, we know how we're doing. If you also choose to review us and leave a comment, we know whether we're doing this right and we're bringing the right audience. With that, thank you, and we'll catch you soon in another episode of the CPG Guys. The content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only. By listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPG Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPG Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of, reference to, or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.